At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trana. Thanks for listening. We've got a very good episode today. Nate Burleson from Good Morning Football and CBS Sports is on the show talking about what's taken place in America over the past 10 days. Um, race, football, race and life, race and being a father. Nate is amazing. Um, unbelievable conversation. Uh can't thank him enough for coming on. Can't thank him enough for everything he said. Uh, uh, episodes in the archives over the past few weeks, if you missed them, Aaron Andrews was the last guest on the SI Media podcast. Andrew Perloff, McLovin from the Dan Patrick Show, Peter Schrager, Ian Eagle, all recent guests. So if you missed any of them, you can go into the archives and check those out. And if you're a first-time listener here, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps tremendously. All right, here we go. From Good Morning Football and CBS Sports, Nate Burleson. All right, joining me now, second time on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Had him on with his castmates in studio once, which was a lot of fun. And uh, he's from my favorite morning show, Best Dressed Man on Sports Television as well, Nate Burleson. Nate, how's it going? I'm good, man. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Holding up okay. Holding up okay. Um, You know, it's been a wild three months for sure. And uh, very, very happy you uh, agreed to come on because... I have seen you speak about what's going on and um, no matter what you talk about, you always bring the passion and, and obviously this topic of what we've gone, what we've seen in the country over the last 10 days or so. Um, it's pretty hard not to be passionate about that, but love to get your thoughts on some things and maybe talk a little football as well. <clears throat> no doubt. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Well, let's, let's just start with this. Uh, you know, what is the past 10 days been like for you personally, for Nate Barlison? Because there's a lot of layers here. We've got what's going on in the country, what's going on with the NFL. I'm curious just about you personally, Nate Barlison, working for the NFL, black man in America, former NFL player. What's the past week been like for you? It's been very eye-opening. Um, when something happens 
one of the things that I do is I look in the mirror and I figure out where I am. How do I feel about things? Um, how am I helping my loved ones get through this very difficult time? Um, but then I, I start looking backwards. By that, I mean, like in the past, I take a very retrospective look at moments in history that were similar, um, moments in my family that might uh, be directly related to what's going on. And that that's kind of where I found myself uh, really just trying to come to grips that this is closer to home than I initially thought. Because when certain things happen, if you achieve a certain level of success, um, you have figured out a way to put your family in a good neighborhood and put your kids in a good school and you shop at the 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 good stores and you have the the good social circle and even the 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 police that are in your neighborhood in your community they know you and everybody is just living um harmoniously but then when you think about certain things that have happened to me in the past i started to find myself um reliving moments getting angry um and I started thinking about every incident that I've had with police officers. And let me be very clear, more times than not, I have met with people that protect and serve this community and they do it with compassion and integrity. So majority of the police officers I know, they're great. And some of them I even consider family, keep in contact. Um, I pick up the phone and call them, not because I need them or I need security or something bad is going on. Like I call them to come by the house and have a drink and bring their kids. So I want to make sure I said that, but there are incidents that really put me in the, in the thick of what's going on. Like I, I've been pulled over for nothing. Um, I've been um, what seems like street side interrogated because I was a black dude in a fancy car. I've had a police officer pull up on me, get out the car, hand on the gun, approaching me as if I'm dangerous. And, and these things happen and it's crazy because I was having this conversation with a friend. As a black person, you're almost numb to it. Mm. So it almost seems like it's protocol for an officer to pull up on you and have his gun at least in his grip, sometimes even out pointed at you. You just kind of like, I don't know, you just hope it doesn't end bad, but you realize that you're dealing with this trauma. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then when talking to my father about growing up in San Francisco in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, he was talking about the situation he's been in, being questioned and roughed up by police. And then his father, my grandfather, um, having an incident with a police officer, which was how it was described on their end, but really, it was a situation where it was a black man approached by the police and police brutality led to his death. So my grandfather died in 1971, 10 years before I was born. My wife's father, uh, my, my grandfather's name is Joey. My wife's mm -hmm. father, uh, Johnny, I'm sorry. My, my, my grandfather's name is Johnny Burleson, who passed away at 71, excuse me, who was murdered in 1971. 
my wife's father, his name is Joe, and he was beat by the police in Oklahoma and, and won a lawsuit, but feared retaliation by the same three officers who beat him. So he ended up moving to Arizona. And, you know, as we have these conversations with our loved ones, you don't realize like the sequence of events that has happened in the past have led to us being in this exact moment. Like my wife telling me like, that's how we ended up in Arizona. Um, without me being in Arizona, I wouldn't have went to the school that I went to and I wouldn't have met you in college. But we, we fled Oklahoma because my dad feared his life. Because after the police officers were exposed for police brutality, they were put on leave and he was getting death threats. And he just felt like it was safer to move out of Oklahoma. So the reason I wanted to say all that, uh, when you asked me about what's going on and how am I handling it as a father, as a black man, as a former player, I am an active participant in the protests because police brutality is very familiar to me. Mm. Um, and I, I want I want to show my face, lend my voice, and I want people to see me because there's a perception like when you make it, you're above it, which isn't true. I remember LeBron James had uh, the word nigger, I believe, spray painted on his garage door. And Jason Whitlock, who I'm not a fan of, um, he came out and he was like, LeBron James is a guy who loves playing the victim. LeBron James can't even fathom what it means to be in the black struggle. LeBron James is too popular and too wealthy to even deal with racism. I just thought that was so stupid. Such a stupid comment for a black man to make and perpetuate a thought that because a guy has made money, he's completely removed from the struggle. So like me as a black man, I want people who may know me, may be my neighbor and say, well, damn, I didn't even know that story. I had individuals call me, people that have known me for years and said, Nate, I didn't know that about you. Mm -hmm. Siasen called me. He said, yo, I just, I just want to call you, man. I, I didn't know that. I'm right. sorry. And, I, and, I, and, it, and it, it, there's, there's this like, there's a moment of appreciation and I'm thankful for these guys who I consider my brothers, whether you're black or white, my brothers and sisters who have reached out through messages and it's like, yo, I'm sorry. And I don't necessarily want people to feel sorry as much as I want them to have understanding. So when Boomer calls, he's like, yo, I just want to call and tell you I'm sorry. And I, I just, I just want to call you and I appreciate you sharing that story. Like that's what that's what I want out of it. And I think that's what black people want out of it. When we say black lives matter and people get all tense and they're like, what kind of militant group is this that's, that's going to be a, 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 a terroristic group of not. Come on, man. Like, let's let's be realistic. Mm. If somebody if somebody's yelling black lives matter. We're just saying black lives matter as well. Black lives matter is too. T.O.O. That's all we're saying. We have never said black lives matter and then followed right. up. White lives don't and Asian lives don't. And Muslims' eyes don't. We're, we're we're just saying that we we want to be looked at and treated the same. So um, for me to share that story and my wife to share her story, it's all it's all about inter understanding. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's that's why um, it was important for me to do, especially in response to Drew Brees, because when Drew Brees 
answered that question on Yahoo Finance, people went crazy. Right. And and initially because I'm a lover and I'm always the the guy to see positive in people and I speak too soon before people can speak for themselves. I was gonna put on this like this imaginary cape and be like, let me save Drew Brees. Let me tell everybody how great he is and how I know him. And I was like, and I was like, you know what? Let me just give it some time. And even yeah. Peter, Peter was talking to me during commercial break. He's like, Nate, that's not really your job. You've already spoke in, in, in Drew Brees' favor. So you don't have to do more than that. Let like let everything else um handle um uh, let everything else take care of the you know the situation. And mm -hmm. and I feel like because I did that with love and I shared that story with love, it was me, it was my way of saying for everybody who says it's about the flag and it's about patriotism and it's about the military and you're disrespectful. When I see the flag and I look at the flag, I salute it and I shed a tear because my relatives have served this country. I want to say, yo, I love you and I agree with you and I feel you. I share that sentiment. My relatives did too. But one of them, my grandfather, who people say, I, took, I talk like him, I dress like him, I move like him, I'm athletic like him. My grandfather, who I never met, he also served this country and came back and died on his own land by the hands of the police. So it was my way of like doing it with love. So I, just, yeah. I feel like we need to share more of these stories because I think through six degrees of separation, you'd be hard pressed not to find a black person that hasn't dealt with some type of uh, discrimination or police brutality. I'm curious how your grandfather being killed by a cop affected you as a kid. Like, were you, I would assume even as a young, as a kid, you know, being in a black family, your parents, dad, mom, um, probably tell you some things about the cops. Uh, maybe you have, I don't know, certain perceptions in your head, but you go through this. It was it a whole different experience for you growing up as a kid that it, you know, how you felt about policemen, white people. I, you know, I, how does that, you know, obviously when you become an adult, you see what's going on in the world, you process it all curious when you were a kid, if that had what kind of impact that had on you. Credit to my mom and dad for raising four boys in a house where love was at the forefront of how we lived. Appreciation for the human race was at the forefront of how we lived. Um, we didn't we didn't walk around seeing race or stereotype people. Like my mom and dad did a great job. Now that I look back, my mom and dad were raised in San Francisco. My mom, I would say, middle class. My father, lower class, in the hood, raising the projects like the project projects, Sunnydale projects. Um, and my dad came home when he was 17 as a junior and his mom, my granny said, your father was killed by the cops. So for him to have that memory and then raise four boys. And after he left San Francisco and took a scholarship to the university of Washington, he made his roots in Seattle. Now, as you can imagine, a black man being raised in the seventies, um, and in 60s in San Francisco, the heart of where the Black Panther Party was um, created, there was a certain tension in the air there where black people were starting to realize that we have certain rights that are being infringed upon and we need to stand up on our own. Um, whether you agreed with Black people mobilizing together and standing up for themselves and arming themselves. Like there was, 
there was a time where that black and white conversation, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't really happening in San Francisco. And I think my dad made a conscious decision to raise us in Seattle because raising us in San Francisco, where he was raised and experienced his own injustices and discrimination, we might have been raised differently. We might have seen things differently. And he didn't push hate on us. Like when I walked out and I had a white friend, he mm-hmm. was just a friend. Mm-hmm. Like when I met an Asian girl, she was just a girl. And and I, I, I looked at things that way for so long. Even my dad didn't even, he didn't even paint the police in a bad way, which he could have. He could have been that father that raised us to think, hey, yo, all cops are bad. I mean, they killed right. your grandfather that you got. None of you guys, yeah, I have four sons. None of you guys have met your grandfather. So for, for the rest of your lives, you guys should fear and hate and disrespect cops. He could have raised us with that. And there could have been a reason because he was probably in pain and dealt with that since the age of 17, but he didn't. And I commend him for that because that's exactly who I am today, which is why when I am talking about police brutality, I can't sit here and say every cop is bad. Right. When I'm talking about race relations, I can't sit here and say every white person is bad because it's not true. I know more good white people than I know bad white people. I know more mm-hmm. good cops than I know bad cops. I know more good black people than I know bad black people. Mm-hmm. Like the odds are that there's more good in this world than bad. And I have experienced that. And now that I'm raising three kids, 16, 14, and 10, two boys and a little girl, let me say actually two young men and a little girl, I have to teach them the realities of life while not steering them into a direction of hate. Because if I sow these seeds of hate and I'm like, yo, Hey, when a white person looks at you, they probably think it's something bad. So you think something bad back and be on edge. And if they approach you, you know what to do. And if a cop pulls you over, I'm telling you, don't play that. I don't need you to to listen to them. They don't have our best interests at heart. You know, you be as aggressive as you. Nah, because that right there, that could end up getting somebody else killed. That could get in my kids killed. So what I do is I teach them the realities with love and understanding. Look, look at this George Floyd murder. Look at what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. Look at the countless deaths. Look at Eric Garner. Look at all these deaths that are actually on camera. Now think about the ones that aren't on camera. Now think about the ones that happened before, you know, TV was even in existence and and the ability to communicate with people across the country. Like think about how many black lives have been lost at the hands of authority, police brutality, racism, hate. And I'll end it by saying, now think about how many people that are a different race, that are of a different religion, different background that you know that you love. Think about how many police officers that are in our lives that you know and you love. So you take all of that and you walk outside. And if you do that, I feel like I'm putting my kids in the best position possible because they understand reality, but they also understand that love supersedes all. How old are your kids, just out of curiosity? I have a a sophomore uh, who's 16, a 14-year-old who's going to be a freshman, and then I have a 10-year-old daughter. So they're at ages where they can really process what's happening, where they can be affected by what's happening. And... You know, I always, you know, I've always heard about the, the you mentioned it, the quote unquote talk that a black 
parent, black parents have with their kids about the police and, um, and your spin on it. So I, I, you know, those ages, that's, they're, they're absorbing all this like a sponge probably. No doubt. Jay, let me ask you this because yeah. you know, I, I'm asked by uh, my white friends a lot about that talk. Yeah. And I think more white people are starting to hear this more often. Yeah. Um, have, have you or anybody you have ever known uh, that's white had a talk that's similar to what you're hearing? I mean, for those listening, the talk is basically, hey, yo, son, when you get pulled over, I need you to try to be as calm as possible. I need you to put your hands at 10 and 2 on the, on, the, on the steering wheel. And if you can, while he's still in the car, you grab your ID, your registration, proof of insurance, and you put it on the dashboard. And you don't move. You you listen to him with that window down. And, and if for some reason your phone slips between the sleeves, do not reach for your phone because that could be perceived as a weapon. If you can't get to your registration or your wallet, don't reach when he's at the window. That could be perceived as a weapon. Um, I don't need you to bark back. If he's already angry, try your best to de-escalate the situation. Because it's really going to be his word against yours. Well, Dad. Well, what about police cameras? I mean, isn't that going to hold them accountable, son? We've seen countless times where the officer said that his camera wasn't working at the time. Um, well, Dad. What about if they are on camera? If it's a street camera and and the, and the officer is caught killing somebody, a son? We've seen that time and time again. Those officers are out uh, walking, and not only did they get off, but they got paid leave. Uh, well, Dad. Well, what if I'm in a, with a group of friends and I'm at a party and I'm chilling and and you know the officer approaches all of us, but he's not he's not talking to my white friends. He's talking to me. Well, then, son, I'm going to need you to stay calm and not be angry. If if I want to file a complaint, I'll do that later. But in the time, I don't need you to respond because the color of your skin, you might be the person that they're looking at as the agitator or instigator of whatever situation you're in. Um, so, son, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm I'm not concerned about um, you feeling like within that moment you're right. Uh, I want you to understand within that moment I need you to come home alive. That's the talk that I'm having with my kids, and and this isn't like oh we're just having it for the next couple of years. What hurts me is I have that talk with him now, and then I have I have to have a different conversation with him when he's 21 mm. and he starts drinking. And he's right. on a college campus and you start to feel yourself. Say he goes to a big school and everybody on campus thinks he's the man. <laughs> but then as soon as he steps off campus and an officer approaches him and doesn't know him, you're just another black kid. And in some officer's eyes, a black thug. You, so, um, you know, we've seen officers act as the, the judge, the jury and the executioner. So these are these are conversations I'm having with my kids, that was for the listeners. So um, I wanted to ask you, like, yeah, yeah. is there any, any version of that? Or when you guys do have a conversation about police, is it just like, Hey, just do what the police says and, 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 and hope, hope it all works out. If he gives you a ticket, you got to pay it. Like, I, I'm really curious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if this is bad or good, but I'm going to give you the truth. I wouldn't bullshit you. I, I've never had that. Con like when I was a kid, I never had that conversation with my parents ever. Um, I don't, it just was never brought up to me. Um, and I really, I sort of formed my own opinions of what I thought, you know, cops were like just in terms of what I saw. But right. that's from a white person's perspective. Obviously, you know, I think with this, you get older and you have life experience. And, you know, if, if you want to talk about my experience, I grew up on Long Island, mostly white. And it wasn't until I got in my mid-20s, late 20s, when I worked in Manhattan and worked with a completely diverse group of people where you start to hear about these experiences, see different perspectives on it. 
And I think um, that's a huge part of this. I think getting out of what you're used to constantly and unless you unless you're around all different kinds of people, I don't think you'd ever fully appreciate what they have to go through. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. And listen, I um I, I saw something that Terry Crews said, uh, the actor. I, I believe I'm paraphrasing, but he said if if black people try to move on um, or move past white supremacy without white people, it's black supremacy. Mm-hmm. And he got lit up, right? Because people are like, yo, there's no such thing as black supremacy, bro. Like, what are you talking about? And when it comes to, like, white supremacy, like, think about what's attached to white supremacy. The pain, the bloodshed, the deaths and and, and anguish of the African-American community amongst other communities and religions that white supremacy has um, tortured for, for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. So bl- saying black supremacy doesn't matter. So I'm always careful with the things that I say. But... I use the word pro athlete privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like because we make money so fast, we're pulled out of our communities. We're given lump sums of money. We're living like rock stars. You got a house in the hill with a fancy car, beautiful wife and life is good. The officers know your name. Uh, the local restaurant pays for your meal. Even black athletes sometimes can be so far removed from reality that they lose the disconnect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned like get out of your own bubble. Like I do believe like a lot of other cultures right now. And I could appreciate my white brothers and sisters who are like, damn, I just didn't see it that way. I'm not even mad at you. Like I can't be mad at your past and how you were raised. Even if you were you were an individual that discriminated against somebody else, used stereotypes, or even like at some point you would consider yourself, um, you know, uh, I want to say consider yourself a racist, but have done things that could be perceived as racist in the past or said things. I can't, I can't fault somebody for who they were, how they were raised. And sometimes you're, you're hereditarily predisposed. Like it's, it's what you come from. But if somebody that comes from that background is like, hey, yo, I just did not see it that way. I had people respond to me after I shared that story and almost started crying on TV about my grandfather, Johnny. Um, and I had people message me. It was like, yo, I'm I'm 77. I'm as white as it gets. And when it came to the, the flag and and kneeling, I was always opposed to it. And I was angry because I just thought it was so disrespectful how they would view the flag like that, how they would disrespect the flag like that. Right. And he, and he, he finished by saying, but after hearing your story, I understand like what you said in there was that your America is in my America. So when I see the flag, I might see a certain thing. When you see a flag, you might see a certain thing. And all we're asking for is that understanding. So when we see cops, we may see a certain thing when you see cops. So whenever I say like pro athlete privilege, if you're an athlete, you're not using your platform or talking or speaking, you're a coward. You're a coward, especially a black athlete. Because what? Now that you're removed, you're too cool for school. And and because it doesn't have to do with you, like you're not going to use your voice for people who look like you, but can't put on that cloak of a jersey and be recognized when they're out. Like people don't get that pass. 
Well, let me ask, let me, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm just curious because you would know this being an athlete. How, how much of it is an athlete personally not wanting to speak out or how much of it is an athlete who has handlers, PR people, agents who tell them not, now, I'm not defending the athlete for not going no, no, against those. You know, I'm you, just curious. I'm just curious because, you know, just from doing what I do for a living, I've gotten to know a lot of athletes over the years and what you're saying, people who are listening to this, they have no idea what an athlete's like is life. They just, if, they'd be stunned if they knew, you know, the, I'm talking about the guys who make the big, huge money. So right. I'm curious, you know, how much of it is them and then how much of it, because they all have handlers and PR people and right. that's got to be a factor here as well. No doubt about it. It is a factor. Um, it, it's the handlers, it's your agents, it's the PR people. Um, it's also your perception of what's important. As an athlete, you're like, all right, what is my brand attached to? All of these different businesses, my team, of course, and my money follows. And if I say the wrong thing, I upset the wrong people. It goes back to what Jordan said back in the day, right? Republicans buy buy shoes too. So like athletes, it might give Jordan a hard time, but if you're remaining quiet because you feel like your endorsement deal is going to be compromised, that's basically you making that same Jordan statement in 2020. So you, you have to understand that like these, these, these companies, if they're willing to jump ship because you're standing up for what's right, then you shouldn't be attached to these companies anyway. Um, right. I, I do feel like nowadays it's more on the individual. Like, I don't think there's a PR person or an agent or a marketing firm that's like, you shouldn't say, you shouldn't say Black Lives Matter because it's it, it confuses some people and and it could be misconstrued and taken the mm. wrong way, which all of that is true. Some people hear Black Lives Matter and they think it's something else. But I feel like most people, most players are willing to just say, you know what, I got to step up and fight for what's right and just use my voice. And at the very like, like simplistic nature of it, posting something or saying something is so simple. Like I get it. People pull up posts and tweets and they want to use stuff against you. But like if you're if you want to show us your shoes and your workout video and your new car you just bought or when you and your wife went on vacation. We can't ask you to put a post out there just to bring light to a situation that's really hurting us on a very human level. I think I feel like that's that's the most important thing. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Social media is a big part of this, and I feel like that's like a a five-hour discussion in and of itself. Because, you know, you brought up what you just said about posting something. And then I feel like if you do that, then there's backlash to that. It's like, oh, you're just following the crowd. You're not doing enough. You know, it's like nobody can win these days when it comes yep. to social media, it seems like. So, um, and I, you know, I don't, again, I, to me, the toxicity, the toxicity of, to- I can't say it, but I social media being so toxic I, does not help any of this Yeah, at all. It, I mean, it, it's, you can go on one minute and see a video of a cop, you know, pushing the old guy and he's bleeding. Then you flip, you know, the next video is someone throwing a chair through a window. And then, the next, I mean, you just, it, it comes at you so fast, so furiously, and it almost just warps your brain where you can't sit and think for a minute about what's going on. Because if you could shut off social media and think about what's going on and listen to what people want and, you know, understand this is about systemic racism and about, you know, fixing this country and, 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 you know, being all inclusive and help, you know, it starts with jobs, starts with hiring. I mean, there's so much there. Right. I feel like we get wrapped up in the videos. We get wrapped up in the tweets. We get wrapped up in the, you know. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 it's like, it's like social media is one big, uh, like one big middle school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Middle, middle, but it's, it, it's one big middle school because like, yeah. Yeah. I think, in high school, you kind of found yourself and found your circle. In elementary, you, re- you really didn't have your, your own train of thought. You just kind of went outside and played. But in middle school, we were all awkward. Awkward in the sense where we kind of wanted to belong with the cool kids. We were still trying to find out who we were. Um, and if uh, enough people gathered together and said something, whether it was negative or positive, it would have a crazy impact on you. I just remember yeah. that. Like, if a group of people say, like, Say like it was the lunchroom full of a hundred kids, and seventy of them just started saying, "Nate is a loser. Nate <laughs> is a loser." Like I would get offended, and the other twenty nine people, they would they would probably they wouldn't say anything. It would take a really strong person to say, "Hey, everybody, be quiet." That's what social media is. 
Social, everybody's waiting and seeing who's saying what. And can I can I jump on this hashtag? And what, what, am I going to see inauthentic, or is are people really going to see my true heart for this? Or, or what if I don't say anything? Are, are they going to pay attention to that? The fact that I'm not saying something, and then you're like, you know what? Well, well they said silence is violence, and oh my, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I just feel like purity is the approach. Whatever your pure heart says. If you don't feel like posting, I'm not mad at you. If you don't feel like protesting, I'm not mad at you. But if I have a conversation with you after seeing everything that's going on and you're still standing on the other side trying to rationalize just pure death, forget about whether you think, uh, you know, these these African-Americans who were killed could have avoided avoided it by not talking back or, or not committing a crime. If you want to have that conversation, then you have that with somebody else. But if you just want to be real about a human dying and say, yo, I just feel bad for the fact that we see another black person die in a situation that was avoidable. Mm. Bro, we can talk about all the other stuff later. But right yeah. there, I'm like, that's that's understanding. And that's progress. Because for so long, we all turned a blind eye as a country. Yeah, a lot of white people was like, what? Black dude died? Damn, that's that's messed up. Well, uh, it ain't really affecting me, so I'm about to go to work. Uh, you know, I'm cool with Tyrone. Tyrone's my my buddy. We're gonna grab a drink later. I mean, I'm not racist, so it's all good. Um, but but as we start to like zoom out, we realize, damn, this is so much bigger than a news clip. This is so much bigger than us trying to move on from it. So that's where we're at right now. We're at a place where everybody is realizing what's going on. And I, pro- I went to a protest a couple of days ago and mm-hmm. I was so proud, man, to see so many different races and religions and people from different backgrounds. And I saw these young kids, man, young, young white kids, which it's just like the next generation of people saying, I'm not going to I'm not going to walk around with hate in my heart. Like that shit got to be exhausting, man. I, to yeah. to want to hate somebody all the time. Do you know how like tired you get when you get in an argument with somebody? Like you, like you want to sleep for three days. I'm too old. <laughs> like you feel me? Like you getting yeah. you getting back and forth with somebody. You're all tired. Like think about wanting to hate somebody 24 hours a day. Like damn, that got to be exhausting. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that is, you know, it did feel like over the past month, this was just something that was festering because you had everyone locked down, obviously, but because of Corona, but it, the, um, mud Aubrey yep. murder. Yeah. You had the, the crazy woman in central park screaming that an African American man was threatening her when her dog wasn't on the leash. And then of course, <laughs> just the surreal, surreal murder. Right. Of, of George Floyd. And, you know, one of the things that struck me about it, and if you don't want to answer this, I, I fully understand, and you know I'm no, gonna throw it talk, out there. Talk, and, uh, I know for me, I've said this to people in, in, in trying to understand all this. Like I can't imagine what it's, and I don't want to do that thing where like, oh, please speak for all black people. So I just want your personal take on it. I can't imagine what it's like for a black person to wake up every single morning, let's say over the last month, where those three incidents happened, and then on top of that, you know that the person who's running the country is a complete and total racist. And you're supposed to then just go on with your day. Like I can't, because I know that bothers me as a white person. I can't imagine what that's like for you. Listen, if 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 Donald Trump had his own um, ideologies and his 
his very personal ways of approaching race relations um, and religion, immigration. And he kept that to himself. It wouldn't be as infuriating as it is now because he tweets so much. He tweets a lot. And some of his tweets are just so like like blatant, you know, like when you're saying, well, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. It's like, bro, first of all, there's more peaceful protest than there is looting. And not every black person is looting. As we've seen on the video, there's white folks out there damaging oh, yeah. things. There's there's agents of instigation and agitators that are actually placed there that have nothing to do with George Floyd that are starting and inciting violence. But yet you're telling people that are in positions of power or people that have weapons, yo, they're looting, so shoot them, basically. And then you have people like, like Tucker Carlson, who was on TV the other day and said, well, listen, we need to get some control because black people are out of control. And, and when they come for you, which they will, yeah, like we're just rabid animals out here escape from the zoo, busting down white people's doors to kill them. Like I, the way that certain things are said, it causes such a rage on both sides. Like as a black man, I'm like, Yo, Trump, like, yo, just take a break from the tweets, man. People dying in these streets. Like, well, that that's my, my issue there is, you know, I'm not defending, obviously, Tucker Carlson, who's, as, you know, as slow as they come. But again, he's a talk show host who's there to, you know, the fact that's that we, job. that's his job. The and fact that, that we've allowed the president to just have no ethics, no morals, no decorum anymore. And it's like no big deal is just astonishing to me. It, it, it's 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 something like we've never seen. Um, it. it Listen, for, for somebody who tweets as much as he does, which is he tweets like a a, a 13 year old girl. Right. So he, he tweets whenever he's happy, tweets whenever he's sad. He tweets whenever there's a beef or an issue. He wants to cancel anybody that disagrees with him. Like if that's you, that's fine. We've learned to to accept that. But just have a little bit of like like a, a little bit of respect for death. Like people are dying. Yeah. And outside of the countless amounts of black people that are dying, there's people that are still dying right now of Corona, people that are dying within these riots. And we just want peace. There's no yeah. time to, to, to send little messages to certain, certain demographics of people just so you can, you can, you can continue to, you know, divide this nation. And, and, and that's what, that's what I feel like we're, we're battling against is the divisiveness of certain people that thrive within that. What I'm seeing though now is that there's, there's a lot of people that, that are, that are willing to move forward and change what the next generation is. I, I, I hope that racist people and that's racist people from every every color. People that look down on certain classes um, because they are in a certain percentage of wealth and riches. Um, people that are just blatantly disrespectful 
to individuals because of sexual orientation or their religion. I hope those people become so outdated that they're recognized as soon as they open their mouths. Um, yeah, you know, I'm starting okay. to see that. I'm starting to hear that. Like they're they're starting to weed themselves out, even on social media. I remember a handful of years ago, somebody would say something on social media and people would just kind of sit back. There might be one person that jump in. But now, whenever I get a response of somebody who's just a troll or somebody that wants to be disrespectful or spew hate, it's a ton of people that just jump in. Right. right? I could jump yeah. in, yeah. which I like that. It's like, you know what? Let's let's use let's let's change the connotation of mob mentality and gang mentality to something mm-hmm. positive. Let's yeah. let's mob up and, and gang up on the people that are actually ones that are that are trying to throw hate around and, and and keep hate around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I it's good. to I, I agree with you. I've seen that more and more. There's two. I, I, if you don't mind, I just want to cover two quick things with you here because you've already given me more time than. Um, That's all good. Let's do it. Okay. okay. The, you know, it's funny because this this plays off of what you just said. I, I, I've this is what tears me apart. And I'm like, this is what makes this whole situation crazy to me because I've talked to people and I've said to them, you know, if you can take any comfort in anything for me, at least I, you know, I know what my grandparents were like. I know what my parents were like. I know what I'm like. And I feel like every generation gets a little better in terms of accepting people. You know, my parents accepted more people than my grandparents. I accept more people than my parents. Hopefully my younger, you know, kids, they, that's the way to, yeah. And and your, your colleague, Kyle Brand, he had a tweet that is exactly, you know, it's sort of what I'm trying to say here. He said, what can I do? Treat every single person you come across with respect. It's not that hard. Tell your kids to do the same. And if you need to tell your goddamn parents, there's a chance they need to hear it the most. Dead on tweet. But then the flip side of that is like, okay, my generation is better than my parents' generation. And we're still in this mess. You know what I mean? Like where, you know, how did it get like this where we were supposed to be better? And, you know, even the people younger than me, I'm in my 40s, people in their 20s should be better than me. And we're still in this goddamn mess. I, I do feel like um, people who thrive off of division and hate and racism, um, they're strong. They're strong in yeah. numbers. Yeah. And, they're, and the reason why racism is still around is because they're stubborn. And, th- and that's why it still exists. And, you know, if I can give them any backhanded compliment is that, they don't give up on wanting to um, keep people down. So, you know, we have to we have to continue to be as stubborn um, as them, and even more so. Which which I'm starting to see that man. I'm starting to see our country mobilize together and and move together on one accord. Which if you can have like real people with real compassion and real integrity in every walk of life, that means the ones that have been uh, masquerading around as uh, our teachers, masquerading around as our politicians, masquerading around as our celebrities, masquerading around as our police officers, our soldiers, These individuals that really are in positions of power just to wield it in their favor, 
like we'll we'll be able to see them. Like if we continue to to be as stubborn as them and have that mob mentality, like we'll be able to recognize them. They'll start to stand out because for so long they were hidden in society. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you see people come out and you're like, "Well, this teacher just got fired for saying this tweet," and you're like, "What did that teacher say? She's a teacher." Right, like, right. like, oh, this this politician, he just got fired. This mayor just resigned for saying that there's no good colored people that were shot by police. What? He's a mayor where in Los Angeles? Like you you you, you hear these stories. Unfortunately, we're not surprised. But you know what, though? The reason they're resigning so quickly, the reason that they're getting fired so quickly is because there's more of us than there is of them. Mm-hmm. And if we can continue to do that. I think this would be a better place when we're dead and gone. Yeah, it, it really, it, I believe so much of it is what you teach your kids. I mean, you just, you could just see it. You've seen it more now more than ever. You see these people at rage and hate who are anti-protest and you see them with the kids. It just, you know, makes you want to vomit. But let me, before I let you go, I, I did want to touch on one thing we've talked about before, social media before. And this is just more, maybe more media in general and more um, culture and the way we are where, you know, Drew Brees said what he said. Everyone reacted. It was it was pretty severe, right? You know, and I get it. I'm not disputing any of that. What I found, but because it's Drew Brees and because of his name and stature, what I found very interesting was I personally, and I, I this is what I want your take on. I thought what Vic Fangio said was so much. I shouldn't say so much worse, but just as bad, if not worse. And he flew under the radar because it his was name worse. Was, yeah, it was worse in the sense that that Drew Brees. I believe he was giving a stock answer. It was almost like he was answering a question in a way he would in 2017. If anything, he was just so tone deaf that it just hurt black people because it's like, bro, just open up your window. There's protests going on. Well, my, my, my thing about the Breeze thing was how can you be in a locker room every day with a group of black men and not realize they were kneeling for social justice and police brutality and had nothing to do? Like, that's what, I mean, you're in that locker room every day with – yeah, and you're in in a community in New Orleans where this has happened, yeah, time and time again. So he's he's heard about it, he knows about it, he understands that there's players that he had played with that have dealt with police brutality. I just think he was just giving the stock answer at the end of this 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 Yahoo uh, finance interview, and I'm not making an excuse for him. He came right. out apologizing, uh, font, and then he 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 did a video. So like he um. He's going to repair those relationships, and 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 I'll say this: like Drew Brees is giving back to to that community, which is a high percentage of Black people, and uh, I, I don't I don't believe that Drew Brees is racist at all. I just think he made a mistake, and he was very tone deaf in what was going on, and um, in the society. Fangio, and then yeah, wanted to oppression, but when it came to Fangio, it's like, how could you say that there isn't any racism or discrimination? Like one, just coaching in general. Like right. I don't know if Steve Wilkes was the Arizona Cardinals coach for, for what about uh, 32 minutes and, and he, <laughs> he, was, he was fired after his rookie yeah. year. And he, I think he had an offensive coordinator fired at the same time he was dealing with all kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, but on the flip side, people can say, well, what about, uh, what about, uh, uh, uh what's my, uh, uh, Marvin Lewis. What about Marvin Lewis? Marvin Lewis was around for the, forever. So black people do get an opportunity. Yeah, but if you consider the league is 80% black and there is a, a lack of representation, you know, at the head coaching, coordinator position, GMs, ownership, like they're just, it just should be, there should be more people that look like us in those positions. Um, 
but you know, I I I don't get I don't get as upset um, when when people make statements like that. You know, I just get I just I just hope that the circle around him, whether you're white or black, just have a simple conversation. Like if you have no history of being racist, I'm not going to listen to you respond to something that you're not really 100 percent right. like affected by and then be mad at you for not answering it the way that I do like that. I think that's unrealistic. And I think black people should stop hoping that white people answer questions the way we answer them and see things the way we see them. They can't. You can't feel what, what I feel. What we'd have to do is make sure that we talk about it, protest about it. We're deliberate about our communication to you. So you understand us. Now, when there is a Dumbass statement, and you're like, I don't know how you're going to talk your way out of that one. That's when you can get mad. Like that that statement from Jake Fromm, the quarterback, I believe, for the Bills. Yes, yes. Like the text message when he was going back and forth, and he was talking yep. to a friend, and he said, oh, "I hope they make the 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 guns very expensive, so they're for elite whites only, or something like that." Yeah, that was exa- yeah, elite elite that's, white white elites. Yeah, white elite. That's a that's a that's that's yeah. a crazy. It's so crazy. Like I have to like chuckle. And for me, there's certain things I hear and I'm like, well, he ain't going like he ain't going to make it out of that one in the locker room. Like I'm not saying he's going to beat up. I'm just saying like he's not going to repair those relationships. When Drew Brees said that, I thought to myself, Drew's going to get on the same page with his guys. They'll talk. They'll get on Zooms. They'll FaceTime. Vic Fangio made that statement. He'll get on the same page with his guys. Like they'll talk. They'll Zoom. And he, he can talk about that. Jake Fromm, that's like... That's like a Riley Cooper slip up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's yeah. hard to it's hard to recover from that. Like, what do you say? Like, I didn't mean it. Like that statement only right, comes. You said it privately. You didn't goof up during an interview, like you said Drew Brees did. This was a private text message too. Right. So you can't so, pull the I didn't mean it. Yeah, I'm just curious. Since let's on the, uh, end on this note, since you just mentioned that you were in the league ten years, played in Minnesota, Seattle, Detroit. Did you ever in a locker room? feel like there was racism in a locker room or did you ever feel like, um, it, like you said, the majority of players are black, but that yeah. doesn't mean anything. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, like you said, you know, you have your Riley Coopers, your Jake Fromm. Were you ever in a, you know, I'm not talking about coaching and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about in the locker room teammates. Did you ever, ever feel uncomfortable or was, is, you know, is it so special in the locker room that everyone's one of the guys? No, I never felt uncomfortable. I felt like, um, there was a time where being politically incorrect was okay in the locker room, right? Right. Say right. certain things that we let slide. Um, you know, it could be a, a group of linemen, say a group of white linemen were talking to a group of wide receivers. And one of the wide receivers would say, well, what you going to do with your money? Go go get a pickup truck and <laughs> uh, and go go hit the hit the barn or something and and the white dude will be like oh what you going to go buy some some rims that that spin and go go get you a 40 or something like you know you would you would hear these conversations and they're just like really intense jokes right. like and they they borderline uh, being offensive but when you're somebody's brother it's like it's like when you have your brother or a relative that you're close to, you can talk about the most sensitive thing that you know can get under his or her skin. But if mm. somebody else says it, you'll fight that person. Right. right. It's the yeah. same thing in the locker room. Now, you don't cross that line, though. It wasn't like white dudes walking around whispering the N-word. There wasn't 
there wasn't black dudes walking around calling a white dude, you know, uh, any of the offensive white terms. Mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. use them, so I don't have them in my dictionary. But like, um, we didn't we didn't have that. It didn't go that far. It was always it was always jokes made on somebody's culture, which that was then. Oh, three was when I came in. So I can only imagine what it was like in the 90s and the 70s, right, right. you know, yeah. going back, dating even further. But like now, I don't even think that stuff will slide in the locker room. I think people might be like, ah, hey, hey, chill. Come on, bro. What'd you, what'd you say? Dude, mm-hmm. go, hurry up, hurry up to the lunchroom because there's chicken in there. Like that, like I don't think people would like, they're not going to let that type of stuff slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I feel like we shouldn't. I was having a conversation with my kids and I said, listen, if you're at school, you're at the lunchroom and somebody says something slick, whether it's about you, the way you were raised, somebody else, the way they were raised, if, if they're making a joke about somebody's race, their religion, their culture, where they're from, how they look, the color of their skin. And I don't care if it's a black person talking about a white person, white person talking about a black person, white person talking about an Asian person. You know, the, the list can go on. It, I don't care what kind of combination it is, even if it's a stereotype and people are giggling and laughing. I want you to be the one in that uncomfortable moment. Be like, that's not funny. Let's move this mm. along. Yeah. And, and and if if a kid is bold enough to do that, then for damn sure adults should be able to. And I do feel like we have more adults that are willing to do that. They're like, that was too much. That was so far left. Like, who? And then in that moment, that one person that felt like I can get away with saying something slick that's offensive, now they're minimized. And I think we, we have to do that more often. Well said. I appreciate you. Uh coming on to do this, you gave me a lot more time than uh, I had asked for. So, uh, oh, no problem, man. Uh, too, bro. Can, you know, this can go on and on and on and on. And, you know, yeah, we'll guys- catch back up again. Listen, we got a long, uh, quarantine. So, uh, oh, yeah. and you got, you know, yeah, you know, I love good morning football. I'm always watching it and you guys do such a great job. And, uh, next time you come on, we'll talk about some, you know, light fun stuff maybe. And, uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget. You probably forgot about this. I'll never forget when I had you guys in the studio, that one interview and we were, uh, we're talking about like the Mount Rushmore of HBO shows and you hit me out of nowhere and you're like, you know, you're a real sex guy. And I remember being flustered when I was taking this podcast. You got me flustered, Nate. So, <laughs> next time you come on, well, we got to have some fun. And yeah, you know, yeah we'll, we'll talk about uh, real sex and taxi cab confessions. Man. That was the, yeah, exactly. That was the one, two punch. <laughs> and hopefully we get some football here uninterrupted in, uh, in 2020, which would be nice for everyone. You're right about that, man. And I'm uh, as soon as we uh, as soon as we get get rolling again, have me on. We'll talk some ball. Absolutely. Take care. All right, Be well. Man. Stay safe. All right. My thanks to Nate Burleson. Powerful stuff from Nate, who is amazing on Good Morning Football and CBS Sports. Love that conversation and good podcast today. Good ones in the past as well in the archives. If you've missed any of them, Aaron Andrews was on the show two weeks ago. Andrew Perla from the Dan Patrick Show. Peter Schrager, Ian Eagle, Chris Long, all recent guests. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, check those out. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps a lot. All right, that wraps up this edition of the SI Media Podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.